Three years ago, my family and I took a trip to Colorado. After spending a few days in Denver, we drove up to the Rocky Mountains. And as we were going up the mountain road, my chest started to tighten a little bit. Now, I'd never had this happen to me before, but I'd heard a lot about altitude, and so I just thought, well, it must be the altitude. We got to our vacation rental, and then we went to a local park to have the kids let off some steam, and while we were there, that tightness began to increase gradually more and more. This photo was taken while we were at that park, and I might be smiling in this photo, but inside, I was growing more and more concerned about what was happening in my body, and rightly so because 30 minutes later, we were sitting at a restaurant having dinner, and as that tightness was getting more intense, my heart started racing within me, my vision started narrowing, and my hearing started to go. And I leaned over to my wife, Rachel, and I said, I think I'm having a heart attack. Now, after a visit to the ER and a barrage of tests, they confirmed I did not have a heart attack. I merely had my first ever stress-induced panic attack, which has remarkably similar symptoms. Now, the reason this had happened was the previous eight months before this had been perhaps the most stressful in my life. Our family had taken our ill-fated trip to England, where we had our visa denied and got stuck there, unable to return to our home in Gig Harbor. And then when we did finally return, I returned to the middle of a significant transition in our worship ministry that left me working 70-plus hours a week and dealing with constant relational conflict. And I had not stopped in eight months. I'd gone from one thing to another to another to another. And then when we got up into the mountains in Colorado, it was like everything, all of that stress hit me in one moment. We all deal with stress. We all deal with anxiety in some way, shape, or form. Sometimes it exhibits itself in in large ways. Sometimes it's just this underlying tension in our lives. And I think for many of us, the past 16 months have been some of our most stressful that we've experienced for a variety of reasons. Whether you're a young family that's been dealing with working from home and having your kids do school at home, or or whether you've been someone who's in an at-risk category, who's had to socially isolate and has had to deal with the stress that comes along with that, Or, or maybe you've lost a loved one and you haven't been able to grieve in the normal way. There are a whole bunch of reasons why this last period of time that we've been living in has been a stressful season, and I think many of us can relate to that. And today's passage from the book of Philippians, the book that we've been studying, answers the question I know that many of us have struggled with. How do I find peace in the midst of stress? My name's Ellis I'm one of the pastors here at Chapel Hill. I'm grateful that you're joining us on this hot and steamy morning, whether you're in the house or whether you're joining us online. We're continuing our journey through the letter to the Philippians that one of the earliest church leaders, Paul, wrote. And uh, talking of stress, the church in the city of Philippi, which was the church to whom Paul was writing, they had tremendous stress in their lives. I, I can see four things in this letter and some of the other books of the New Testament that show just how stressed they were. First, I see that they'd experienced rejection by the local authorities. They were accused of of 
disturbing civic order by their anti-Roman practices. We, we see that in Acts chapter 16. Second, they'd experienced resistance from opponents tempting them to cowardice and retreat. And that's, we find that at the end of chapter one of the letter we've been studying. Third, they'd experienced recession or financial hardship. Paul writes about that in one of his other letters where he describes their situation as extreme poverty. And fourth, they had friction in their relationships, as you read about in the first few verses of chapter four of this letter. Rejection, resistance, recession, and relationships. Does anyone here have stress in just one of those areas today? Yeah, I think all of us have stress in at least one of those areas, but all four areas? That was what the church in the city of Philippi were going through. And so Paul wrote to them these next few verses that we're going to read to help them to discover how they could find peace in the midst of stress. And because we believe that that this is the word of God, that Paul was inspired by God to write these words, we believe that these words have power to help us find peace in the midst of our stress. So let's read this together, what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 and following. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Paul begins this letter with a command that if you've been tracking with us these last eight or nine weeks, might seem very familiar. Rejoice. This theme of joy comes up 14 times in this letter of just over 2,000 words. It's at the heart of Paul's encouragement to the church in Philippi. And here he tells them to rejoice, not just once, not just twice, but always. And these words begin a kind of laundry list of commands and encouragement that Paul is going to give to the Philippians. And we'll be looking at these over the next four weeks. But today I want to hone in on the next two verses, verses 6 and 7. Let's read them. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Father, your word to us has power. And we pray this morning that the power of these verses would come to us through the power of your Holy Spirit bringing them to life in our lives. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. When I was 19, I got to take a trip to Kenya with a friend of mine, and we stayed in a very rustic rural house. And let's just say that the facilities weren't quite up to our Western standards, as you can see from this next photo of the toilet. But there were some pros to our accommodation. It came with our own private chef. Yeah, that's right. Who one day fed us this. That is a maggot in my rice. (laughs) But even better than the private chef were the security measures that were taken to keep us safe at night. We had our own security detail. Nothing, let me tell you, nothing makes you feel safe like an untrained man with a broken table leg, a construction hat, and a piece of plywood. On guard! 
Yet these men were successful in keeping us safe during our stay. Now, of course, these these men were, were seeking to guard us against physical attacks. But wouldn't it be amazing if there was something or or someone who guarded us against mental attacks, attacks of our mind, or emotional attacks, attacks of our heart. Someone who was was willing to, to stand guard and turn back all the fears and the worries of this world and to leave us in a state of peace beyond our comprehension, beyond anything we could imagine. I know I would like that. And that's the good news that we find in this passage we just read. God promises us his peace, a peace that will go beyond any peace that you can find anywhere else in this world, and that his peace will guard and protect us. It will fight back against all of the cares and the worries and the stresses of this world. This is what Paul writes The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard. Just like that Kenyan man was guarding us against physical attacks, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God promises us his peace. And that peace will guard us in our hearts and our minds. So the question is, if God promises peace... Why don't we have it all the time? How do we access this promise of peace? Because I know every single one of us deals with stress and worry and anxiety on a daily basis. If God promises peace, how do we access it? Well, this is what Paul tells us in our passage. He says, the promise of peace comes through the power of prayer. Say that with me all together. The promise of peace comes through the power of prayer of prayer. The way we access this promised peace of God is through the power of prayer. Let me read the two verses to you again that we're looking at this morning. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will God your hearts, and your minds in Christ Jesus. The promise of peace comes through the power of prayer. If you take one thing away from this message this morning, let it be that. Let's say it again one more time. The promise of peace comes through the power of prayer. And do you know what's fascinating to me? We have modern scientific studies that back this up. I mean, it it shouldn't be surprising, really. If we believe that this is truth, which I believe it is, then we should discover it in all aspects of our life. If it's really true that the promise of peace comes through the power of prayer, we should be able to see that in our world actually having effect. In 2009, the Journal of Clinical Nursing reviewed 26 different studies, and they concluded that those who engaged in private or personal prayer had lower levels of anxiety and depression than those who didn't. And more than that, those who had strong Christian beliefs and engaged in prayer had even lower levels of anxiety. And then in 2014, a Baylor University study discovered that not only did the beliefs 
of the prayers make a difference, but the way in which people prayed made a difference. Those who prayed in a, in a more intimate manner, expressing their concerns personally, saw fewer anxiety-related symptoms than those who prayed in a more distant or ritualistic manner. The promise of peace really does come through the power of prayer. But interestingly, the science seems to say that not just any prayer, but prayer to a specific someone and prayer done in a certain way. And you know what? Paul agrees with them. Paul agrees with their findings. He says it matters, if you want this promise of peace, it matters who you're praying to. And it matters how you pray. So we're going to look at those two things because we want to access this promise of peace. Amen? We want that promise of peace. And so let's find out from Paul, through God's word, how we can access it. So it matters who we pray to and how we pray. First, who do we pray to? I wonder, what is your image of God when you pray? What do you imagine God is like when you're praying? Do you think of him as a, maybe a grandfather sitting in a rocking chair? Or maybe you think of him as a mighty warrior riding on a, on a white horse heading into battle. Maybe you think of him as a king sitting on his throne, ruling and reigning with power. Now, these are, these are all biblical images of God, but this isn't the basis upon which Paul, in, Paul encourages us to pray in order to find peace. The basis upon which Paul's commands fall is at the end of the previous verse, end of verse 5, where Paul writes, the Lord is at hand. Or as some other translations have it, the Lord is near. By this phrase, Paul is encouraging us to remember we do not pray to a God who is distant and removed. We don't just pray to a God who's, who's sitting in heaven, but we also pray to a God who has come down to us. We pray to a God who came to us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. We pray to a God who has been through the struggles and the anxieties and stresses of this life like we have done, even to the point of sweating blood. We pray to a God who in the person of Jesus gave his life for us in order to tear that veil and make a way for us to enter into the presence of God so that we might draw near to God and as we do, he would draw near to us. We pray to a God who has not left us alone when Jesus ascended back into heaven but to a God who has given us his promised Holy Spirit who dwells within us and walks with us from now until the end of the age and we pray to a God who will come again and will make his dwelling here with his people and will set all things right. No more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. That is the God we pray to. The Lord is at hand. Amen? At the heart of prayer that produces the promise of peace is our conception of the God that we pray to. And the God that we pray to is not a distant and removed entity, but is a personal, near to us, with us, God. My son Ezra just turned six a couple of weeks ago, and I, I love it that he still calls me Dada. It was his first word, and he still uses it whenever he wants to get my attention. Dada, Dada, when are we going to baptize Marlo? 
Marlo's our six-month-old puppy. <laughs> that was an interesting one a couple of weeks ago. I love that word that he uses, dada, because it speaks to an intimacy in our relationship, a closeness, a personal nature of the relationship between father and son. And we too have that same level of closeness with our heavenly father. We too get to come to him. We too get to experience and know his love for us. To come to him with our our questions, our requests, our concerns, to say, Dada, I need your help. Dada, I'm going through this thing right now. When the disciples came to Jesus and they said to him, how then shall we pray? What did he teach them? He said, pray then like this, our Father. It was how Jesus prayed. It's how we are to pray. We pray to a God who is close at hand, not to some distant entity, but to a personal, living, near to us, God. So the promise of peace comes through the power of prayer. If we want that promised peace, we've got to pray to the Lord who is at hand, our God who's near to us. That's who we're praying to. What about how we pray? What about how we pray? I think Paul teaches us three things in this passage. If we want to pray to receive the promise of peace, there are three things that our prayer needs to encompass. It needs to be universal, it needs to be grateful, and it needs to be personal. First, universal. Prayer that produces peace is universal. That is, it's prayer about everything. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer. Prayer that produces peace should be about everything and anything. It should be universal. A few months ago, I was returning home one afternoon and heading into a number of back-to-back Zoom calls. Praise the Lord, that season of my life is over. And so as I was about to head into them, I made myself a cup of tea because, well, I'm British. And as the tea was brewing, I thought to myself, you know what I would love right now? I would love a biscuit. No, not that sort of biscuit. A British biscuit, you know, what, what you guys call a cookie. And so I went to the pantry, knowing full well that we'd purged our pantry of the plethora of sugar goods long ago knowing that I was never going to find anything in there, but I went anyway, just in case there was something there. And while I was in my pantry, there was a knock on my door. I went to the door, I opened it, and standing on my doorstep was Tiffany Moore, who leads our prayer team. And in her hands, get this, was a bag of homemade, beautifully iced St. Patrick's Day cookies. Unbelievable. <laughs> And I say this because it reminds me that we have a God who cares for us in the details, in the little things. You know, I never would have prayed for a cookie. Do you know why? Because I would have said, that's too insignificant. God, God doesn't care about that. He doesn't have the time for that. But yet in that moment, it was as if God knew what I wanted. And before I had even asked, even just in the midst of my longing and my searching, God provided it for me. Now, I'm not promising you can go home and do the same thing today. 
But I am telling you that God cares about the details in your life. And so if you are going through something right now, something that's bringing you worry, anxiety, stress, and you're thinking, well, it's just, it's not big like those other people, like what they have to deal with, you know, those people in Miami. It's, it's not like what they're going through. Our Lord cares about what you are going through, even the little things. He longs for you to come to him. Dada, I need your help. I'm finding this hard. He cares about the little things. It's a prayer that produces peace is universal. It's prayer about everything. Second, prayer that produces peace is grateful. It is grateful. Paul writes, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Prayer that produces peace is grateful. It's not just prayer that says please. It's also prayer that says thank you. Thank you, God, for what you have already given me. One of the practices I've started doing recently is journaling. Every night before I go to sleep, I grab my journal and I write down what happened during the day, what some of my wins were, how I'm feeling. And as I write how I'm feeling, I I notice patterns like how I'm stressed a lot of the time and anxious. And then I do something that completely changes how I feel. I write a list of things that I'm grateful for, things that I am thankful for. Now, they might be little things, like I went back and had a look at some of them. In February, I wrote that I was grateful for sunshine. (laughs) I'll be grateful for rain today. (laughs) In March, I wrote that I was grateful for evenings by our fireplace. Tonight, I'm going to be grateful for evenings by our little AC unit. (laughs) Or I might write things that I'm grateful for, for where I've seen God move. Like when he answered a prayer that I've been praying for one of my kids. Or it might be things that that are just always there, but I don't always thank God for them. Things that I sometimes take for granted, like my wife. By listing out these things that, that I'm grateful for and giving thanks to God, who is the source of all good things, this amazing thing happens. This peace descends on me. All the anxiety that I was just journaling about, the stresses, the worries, physically I feel the release in my body as I give thanks to my God. It's it's incredible. And it's right out of the word of God. Because the, the promise of peace comes through the power of grateful prayer. It's not just prayer that says please that is going to relieve us of our anxieties. It is also prayer that says thank you, that practices gratitude. And if you don't have a regular practice of giving thanks to God, I'd encourage you to start one. Maybe you could journal like I am doing. Because grateful prayer produces peace. So prayer that produces peace is first universal, it's second grateful, and third, it is personal. Personal. Paul writes this, In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul encourages us not just to present requests for other people, not just to present requests for general things that are going on in the world. Yes, those things are important. But if we want prayer that produces peace, we must present our requests. Prayer that produces peace is personal to the people of God. Now, I love it when we gather together to worship 
and pray. We do it every Sunday. Do it on Tuesday. Tuesdays once a month for kingdom come. There's, there's just something powerful about coming together corporately, praying together, being led in prayer by someone for, for the needs of our community, the needs of our world. But sometimes praying in that atmosphere, it can be hard to bring our requests, to make prayer personal, to bring before the Lord what is in our heart. Now, it's important to pray corporately. I'm not knocking that. We should all do that. But prayer that produces peace is prayer that presents your requests to God. And I know that I engage in that sort of prayer best, not when I'm in the church building, but actually when I'm outside of the church building. You know, my faith life is not about one hour a week when we gather together. It's any and every moment of every day. I find that personal prayer is most easy to do when I sit down with a cup of coffee in the morning before my kids get up, or when I go on a walk by myself, or when I drive by myself, or when I'm laying my head to rest on my pillow at night. It's in those moments that I find it easy to come before God and be honest about what is going on in my life, to present my requests to Him. And if you don't have a regular practice of personal prayer, I'd encourage you to start one because you're missing out. You're missing out on the promise of peace that God has for you. And if you're unsure, like, I haven't really done this before, I don't know where to begin. I want to recommend a book to you. I read it back in January. A bunch of our life groups just finished going through it. I've got people telling me about it all the time. I loved it. It's called How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. Anyone a normal person, not a super Christian, right? Yeah? This is the book that will help you know how to pray. Pete Gregg wrote it. He's the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement, a movement of prayer that's gone across the world. If you don't have a practice of personal prayer, get one. Get one. It's a gift. It's a gift that God gives us. And it's the way that we access his promised peace. So many of us live stressful lives. So many of us struggle with anxiety, whether it's underlying or it's intense. But the good news of today's passage that we read is that God promises us peace that will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And the promise of peace comes through what? The power of prayer. Prayer that produces peace is, is prayer made to a God who's not distant, but he's close to us. He's our Father. It matters who we pray to. And prayer that produces peace is universal. It's prayer about everything, the little things, as well as the big things. It's grateful prayer. It's prayer that says thank you, as well as please. And it's prayer that's personal. We bring our requests before the Lord in prayer. So are you stressed out? Because the promise of peace comes through the power of prayer. And let's do that right now. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you for the access that you have given us to yourself through the work of your son, Jesus. We thank you for your presence with us right now by the power of your Holy Spirit. And by the power of that Spirit and in the name of your Son, Jesus, we bring before you now the things, big and small, that are on our hearts. Let's take a moment, church, to lay before God anything that you are struggling with. Present your requests before the Lord this morning.
giver of all good things. And we recognize that you have blessed each one of us abundantly, not least of which in the gift of your son, Jesus, his work for us, and in the gift of your spirit. So Lord, we come to you now and we give you thanks, not just for those, but for other things in our lives which you have given to us. Take a moment, church, to give thanks to the Lord for things in your life that he has blessed you with. God, we believe your word is true. We believe your word has power. And so this morning, we claim the promises of your word in our lives. The promise of peace. We ask right now for your peace to descend on us. That it would guard us in our hearts, in our minds, from all anxiety. That anxiety would be banished. And that we would be set free to savor and enjoy that peace that surpasses all understanding in and through your son, Jesus. Church, we're going to close with a, with a song. It's a song that talks about finding peace in the midst of all that is going on in our world through the power of the name of Jesus. Let's stand and sing it together. joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington, 98335. Our worship services are Sundays at 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30 a.m. We'd love to meet you. To learn more about Chapel Hill and find out about upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.